0: seen the storyline a number of times the neighbor kids family is busy Uh, they don't have time for their their son maybe it's because of the hobbies that they have or the career choices that they made or or maybe it's due to a broken home but the child seems to be left out of the picture and in those stories as that event begins to unfold there's always that old widower that lives next door And he's grumpy he's a grumpy old man that just loves being by himself and that neighbor kid is intrigued by that grumpy old man and he begins to go visit the grumpy old man and because he's so young because his heart is so where it's at uh, he doesn't understand he doesn't recognize the the man's annoyance by his presence And instead, the young boy, just because someone's there, he asks questions, he he seeks to understand things. What, 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 what is always asking that question. And in that story, as it unfolds, he's really annoying at the beginning. But then after a period of time, the old widower begins to look at this child with different eyes. And he begins to love that child and accepts that child. and, And that child becomes a part of the family. I was looking at 2 Corinthians 7, verses 2 through 4, and I couldn't help but think about that and that theme or that plot that seems to happen in so many movies. This morning we continue our journey through 2 Corinthians, and the people of Corinth have turned to Christ. There's some that have turned to Christ in Corinth, and the church of Corinth was born. And Paul spent 18 months there ministering to them, watching them grow. But then Paul left Corinth, was led to a different place, to a different ministry, to a different field. And some false teachers began to come in. And they began to share some things about Paul that were false. But the people began to believe those things. And they kind of put Paul out. And they didn't bring Paul in. They weren't as accepting of Paul. But as we look at Paul... He continues to have a heart for the people of Corinth and Paul continues to seek to minister to them to continue to seek to encourage them regardless of their attitude towards Paul he continues to minister to them and continues to pursue after them this morning we come to 2nd Corinthians 7 verses 2 through 4 and we're going to examine this passage this morning And as we examine this passage this morning, I hope that you see the depth of Paul's love for the people of Corinth. Regardless of their behavior towards him, his love for them was the real thing. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 2 says this, make room in your hearts for us, we've wronged no one, we've corrupted no one. We've taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I'm acting with great boldness towards you. I have great pride in you. I'm filled with comfort in all our affliction. I am overflowing with joy. Father, we are grateful for this morning that you've given to us grateful for this opportunity Lord to look into your word and Lord we pray that as we look into your word this morning that your word would in fact look to us look into us Lord only your word can speak to our hearts only your word can dive and and touch our innermost thoughts and so I pray Lord this morning as we dive into your word that your word dives into us Take my mind and my heart and my tongue, Lord God, and allow me to share what you'd have us to hear. Nothing more, but certainly nothing less either. And it's in your son's name we pray these things. Amen. Now, as we dive into these verses this morning, there are three headings that we're going to use to kind of lead us through. The first thing we see is Paul's plea, and that's just in the first part of verse 2 there. In the rest of verse 2, we see Paul's practices and then in verses 3 and 4 we see Paul's pride and joy and he shares with us about that pride and that joy in those last two verses so let's dive into verse 7 there or verse 2 excuse me there and we see Paul's plea Paul's plea is simply this make room for us that's that's his plea make room for us, Paul's desire is for the Church of Corinth to have the same love for him as he has for them that's that's his desire. Uh, this passage removes the re, uh, resumes the discussion that we saw with Paul that he began in verse eleven of chapter six uh, in verse eleven of chapter six, Paul was speaking to them about this love for him, his love for them and desiring that they have that same love for him. Now, right now, Paul's reputation or or the thoughts that they have of Paul are marred by all of the false accusations that are taking place. Uh, So many accusations have come against Paul by these false teachers. They've come in and they've shared that Paul was there, didn't really have a heart for them, uh, shared that Paul was just seeking his own gain, Uh, They shared that Paul was nothing more than just a snake oil salesman and he was just there for money, that he didn't really love them. Uh, Paul has tried to come to them and he couldn't come to them and they've just said, hey, there's another sign that he doesn't really love you, that he doesn't really care about you. Uh, Even though Paul has poured out his heart for them, even though Paul has poured out his life for them, uh, those are the accusations that are coming. And as a result of that, they're kind of standoffish with Paul. They're not accepting of Paul and they're kind of leaning the other way. In 2 Corinthians 6, verse 11, just look up there with me. It says, We've spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our hearts, our heart is wide open. Paul loved the people of Corinth. They should have been able to see that in his mannerisms, in his behavior. Uh, he opened his heart and he let the people of Corinth in. You know how that is for us sometimes in relationships? If we've been hurt before, then sometimes we don't let people in very well. We kind of keep them at a distance. If we were treated poorly as a child, we we don't let people in very easily. We keep them at arm's length as long as we can. We, We have that. And that's where the people of Corinth were. But Paul was not like that. He says, my heart has been open, and I've been open and I've been honest with you the whole time. There's nothing that I'm keeping hidden There's nothing that I'm keeping reserved from you. I've been like an open book to you. My heart is open to you. My love for you uh, is there. He shared that with them. But the people of Corinth, they weren't that open. There in 2 Corinthians 6.11, it says, You are not restricted by us. You are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak to you as children. Widen your hearts also. So the lack of a close relationship that Corinth had with Paul was not Paul's fault. It was on them, because they were the ones not letting Paul in. They were not trusting Paul. They were believing these false accusations. They were believing these false teachers. Uh, and he says, you know, stop making room in your own hearts. Stop making room in your own hearts for, for for these other false teachers uh, instead make room in your hearts for me paul said in, in first in second corinthians 6 14 do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for one, what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness so these false teachers were coming in and they were sharing these things and paul says they're unbelievers So why would you take the words of unbelievers and believe those more than you believe me? Because as believers, you should be listening to what I'm sharing with you, not what the unbelieving world is trying to sneak in. And he says, open your heart to me, not to those things. That's that's what Paul is sharing here with them. That's what Paul wants them to understand. Make room for me. Boy, I remember one of the rules that was in our house that I tried to avoid as often as possible. My parents would share, don't eat anything before supper, it'll ruin your appetite. That has not happened to me one time in my life. <laughs> I've never ruined my appetite. Uh, I used to go to college and I would eat dessert first just to see if I could do it. It didn't work. Uh, even when the cheesecake table was out, I'd eat all I could and then be like, oh, chicken. Uh, and dive in. It's just the way it would work. It's never happened. But Paul is saying, you guys are filling up with all of this false teaching. Depart from that stuff. There's, there's no partnership there between righteousness and lawlessness. There's no fellowship there with light and darkness. So why are you being consumed with those things rather than seeking after God? He says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. This is Paul's plea. Open your hearts to to me. Open your heart to me. Receive me as I have received you. Now the next thing Paul shares after his plea is his practices. He says there in verse two, we have wronged no one. This word that's used here means to act unjustly. Paul says we have not acted unjustly towards anyone. You can look at the record, but there is no record of injustice. Paul's record with them and with the people of Corinth was spotless. Paul not only talked the talk, but Paul also walked the walk you guys remember when Paul was arrested for proclaiming Christ and while he was in prison he proclaimed the gospel and Onesimus was a slave that escaped from Philemon and he trusted Christ while he was in prison and Onesimus said wherever you go Paul I want to go with you and I want to minister with you I want to I want to be there but Paul knew Onesimus' situation. And he said, Onesimus, I cannot wrong Philemon. Even though you escaped, even though you're now a follower of Christ and things have changed, I still cannot wrong Philemon. And so Onesimus, or Paul wrote a letter and gave it to Onesimus and had Onesimus take it back to Philemon. And that's the letter that we have called Philemon and this is verse 17 Paul says to Philemon so if you consider me your partner receive him Onesimus as you would receive me if he's wronged you at all or owes you anything charge that to my account I Paul write this with my own hand I will repay it to say nothing of you of your owing me even your own self so Evidently, Philemon and Paul had a little bit of a relationship here. And Paul could have easily said, Philemon, Onesimus is with me, deal with it. But he didn't do that. He sent Onesimus back, and he says, If Onesimus owes you anything, bill me, and I'll settle up with you. Paul had wronged no one. And this example here of Onesimus and Philemon is a great example of that he tells the people of Corinth I've wronged no one you can look at my past I've wronged no one he says we have corrupted no one this word that's used here for corrupted implies the loss of soundness or the loss of purity the loss of integrity as a result of this loss of of soundness or this loss of purity it would cause it to be destroyed Uh, It would cause it to die. There's a there's an illness, and I would tell you the term, but I don't want to embarrass you. There's a term that's used here that this Greek word is applied to, and this disease attacks the throat and it breaks down the throat and causes the tissues to die off. Uh, That's what this word is, and that's this idea of corrupting something, attacking something, breaking something down, so the integrity of it is gone, so that it dies. Paul says, hey, we've corrupted no one. Paul has caused no deterioration to the inner life of man. Now, we think about all of the corruption that was going on in Corinth. There was a ton of that that was taking place, and people were corrupted, and it was eating people away. But that wasn't Paul's doing. That was was the, the culture that was doing that. It wasn't Paul that was doing that. Now, the next thing we see there is letter C. He's taken advantage of no one. He says there in verse 2, we've taken advantage of no one. This literally means to have more than anyone else and take from those who don't have as much as you. And Paul says, hey, we've not taken advantage of anyone. We've not taken anything from anyone. Now, false teachers had come in and they had taken advantage of people, but Paul had not. Paul had no practice of of selfishness. He had no practice of self-seeking fraud. He did not do anything in his ministry that was a bait and switch. Uh, He didn't have any of those tactics at all. Uh, He didn't do any wrong to people for the sake of gain so that he could step back and say hey look at all that I've done he didn't do that uh, that was not part of his practice 2nd uh, Corinthians 4 verse 2 we're kind of frozen there Nate can you bump us up 2nd Corinthians 4 verse 2 you've been frozen for a long time haven't you it says this but we have renounced disgraceful underhanded ways We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Paul says, hey, we haven't done any of those practices. There's nothing like that that we have done. We're we're clear of those. We've taken advantage of no one. That's what he shares. Paul had made uh, a declaration to the church of Ephesus And he says this in Acts 20, verse 26. Therefore, I testify to you that this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. Verse 33, I've coveted no one's silver and gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So throughout Paul's ministry, there's evidence of this, that he's taken advantage of no one. Even the elders in Ephesus couldn't point their finger at him and say, Paul, you did it here. He says, no, I never did. I was here to minister to you. I loved you. I I shared with you my life. I shared with you the love of Jesus Christ. I shared with you the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was my only burden. You guys know my heart better than that. There's nothing like that that you've seen in who I am as a man. That was his ministry. So his plea is, love me as I love you. He's He's shown them his practices and says, hey, this is who I am. And lastly, we see that the people of Corinth are his pride and joy. Look at verse 3. I do not say this to condemn you. Paul does not want them to think that he's attacking them. They have come, and and these things have been shared, and Paul is responding. And Paul wants them to know that he's just seeking to defend himself. He's not wanting to, hey, you attacked us, I'm attacking you. Paul doesn't want that to happen. He is is seeking to, to move through this. He's seeking to resolve this. He wants them to know that his love for them is great. Uh, Paul is not giving up on them. As you think about the church of Corinth, they had some some tough times. I mean, they were an immature group of people. And it would have been a great time. Hey, neighbor kid, go home. We're, We're tired of dealing with you. But Paul didn't do that. He continued to show his love towards them. He continued to love them. Verse 3 shares with us the depth of his loyalty. It says, For I said that you are in our hearts to die together and live together. Boy, that almost seems backwards, doesn't it? To die together, to live together. That seems awkward for those two things to be uh, worded that way. But Paul, once again, is confirming what he shared with them previously. The depth of his own love. I love you guys I love you guys even though you're an unlovable group I I love you guys that's that's Paul's message to them the love that Paul has for them is going to be sustained it's going to be sustained even in death he's gonna love them to death and then he's gonna love them beyond death that's what that's what Paul is looking for this this friendship, this relationship that they have is going to transcend death. This this recognition that, hey, this life is not the end, that we have a future hope. Romans 6, 8, Paul says this, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with them. So Paul says, we're living right now, we're going to die, and once we die, we're going to live together then because of what they have in Christ. So Paul's relationship with them is more than just the here and now. Paul is loyal to them through thick and thin, and death is not going to separate us because we're going to meet again on the other side. After graduation, we'll hang out together on the other side. That's that's his statement. Now look at verse four, and this this just I'll oh, share. Never mind. I am acting with great boldness towards you." Now the New Living Translation says, I have highest confidence in you. So as Paul is looking at them and as Paul sees them, he is confident that the things that are going on in their life are gonna be resolved and there's gonna be a turning to Christ. Doesn't that sound like a doting father? Have you ever met that father who is the father of that kid? And when I said that kid, you know which one I'm talking about. (laughs) And regardless of that, the father or the mother just dotes on that child because of that love that that parent has for that child. This is Paul. He looks at the church of Corinth, and man, they've got issues. But you know, God has brought them so far. God has changed the lives, and there's some, there's some rough edges on them, sure. But man, we all have bad hair days, right? And that's the way he looks at the people of corn. Hey, I'm bragging about you guys. I'm, I'm proud of you guys. I'm, I'm proud of the way that God has shaped you and changed you. And this is his fourth letter that he's written to them that said, Hey guys, bring things together. Let's, let's tighten things up here a little bit. But yet he's like, man, you guys have come so far. Um, I'm so proud of you. Uh, The church of Corinth was a a troubled group. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1 says, Thy brothers could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready, for you are still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? I mean, these guys weren't mature Christians at all. But Paul says, I love you, man. I love you. I'm proud of you guys. And I'm telling people about you. I'm telling people about how proud I am. This confidence that Paul has towards them is, is rooted in his love for them. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says, Love bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. Isn't that exactly how Paul is looking at the church of Corinth? With this love. He has this love. And he knows that this is a bump in the road for them. He knows that because his confidence is in God. He knows that God's working on them. He knows that God is shaping them. He knows that God is trimming them back. He knows that. Philippians 1.6, Paul says this, I'm sure of this, that God, that he, God, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul knows that there's still work that needs to be done in the people of Corinth. But he knows that God is the one who's working. And he knows that God is going to complete it. The day that Jesus returns, the day that they go to be with Christ and stand before Christ, it's going to be complete. Because they're going to step out of that old sin-filled body and they're going to have a new glorified body. And when that takes place, everything's going to be mucho better. That's the Greek word, mucho. It's going to be better. He knows that's the case. And that's where his confidence is is in the Lord. He knows that God's not through with them yet. That God is still working on them. And, And that's where he is. And notice he says, I have pride in you. The New American Standard says, great is my boasting on your behalf. Amazing that Paul has pride in this group. Paul's boasting was not in himself, not in the work that he had done but in the work that God was doing in their midst. 2 Corinthians 10, 17. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. That's what Paul's boasting in, is the Lord and the work that he's done. He says in verse four, I am filled with comfort. Next week when we get together, we're going to try at 1045 next Sunday. Something new. We're just going to try it two weeks in a row. Uh, Next week, we're going to look at Paul, and he receives a message from Titus. And in this message from Titus, he shares with them about some of the positive things that are going on in Corinth. Uh, 2 Corinthians 7, 6 says this, But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. Paul knows God is doing a work in corn. Uh, And he was comforted by this this message from Titus. He says, I was comforted in that. Uh, He's comforted in the way that things are going. They're not there yet, but they are making progress. They are making progress. And notice what he says in the last of verse 4. In all of our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. The people of Corinth were Paul's pride and joy because of the work that God was doing. Even though they were overwhelming at times, for the insaneness that was going on it was a wonder that Paul could keep sane with the people of Corinth but yet he sees these glimmers of hope he sees these glimmers of what's that other G word growth and he is excited by those and those bring him joy and it says I'm overflowing with joy so there's this area that we used to hunt and there's a natural spring there someone took and buried a piece of pipe in the side of the wall and it just comes out of it's like the crazy thing you're walking along and there's a cattle trough there and that's why they put it there it was for cattle there's this cattle trough there and then in the middle of this rock wall there's a hose stuck in there. And it's just a garden hose size, but water just pours out of this rock. And as you walk up there, it's such a beautiful sound because you hear that water overflowing out of that cattle trough. And it's making its way down to the river that's below. And it's such a cool thing. And that water coming out of the wall is just so pure and it's so clear and it's cold. No matter what time of day it is, it's cold when it comes out of there, and it's overflowing. And this is that picture of that joy that Paul has. It's an overflowing, pure joy as he hears about what's going on in the church of Corinth. You know, as you look at Paul and as you look at this whole situation, there is no doubt that Paul is spirit-filled and spirit-controlled. He's walking with God he's walking in obedience to God and Christ is just pumping his heart full and he's overflowing he's overflowing so there you have it Paul's plea Paul's practices and Paul's pride and joy so what do we take home from this I mean what do we apply to our Sunday afternoon you know as I as I thought about this this week I I had to ask myself do I have Paul's heart for other people do I have Paul's heart for other people it depends on the day it does but you know I think we see Paul's heart and he has a a love for them like no other and I think that's what we need going Doesn't God tell us, doesn't Jesus tell us, love the Lord our God with all our mind, with all our heart, with all our soul? Love our neighbor as ourselves. These are the two great commandments. Paul is displaying that love thy neighbor. That's what he's doing. Do we have that kind of love? Paul isn't ignoring their sin. As we look at 1 Corinthians, as we look at 2 Corinthians, Paul calls them out in regards to their sin. And he even tells us later in this book, hey, I wrote this, I knew it was going to hurt your feelings, but you had to hear it. So he calls them out on their sin. But even though they have that sin, he still loves them. He still loves them, and he tells them the truth and love. And they should know his heart. His desire is to see them repent. His desire is to see them turn to Christ. That's his heart's desire. But Paul's love for them was sincere. Paul's love for them could be tested, and Paul's love would be true. It would hold up to all scrutiny. Paul had no desire for self gain, Paul's desire was for others to grow and their relationship with Christ. That's what he desired to be. That's what made his heart beat. As he shared the word of God, as he, as he wrote these letters, his desire was that they would turn from the world and they would turn to Christ. That was his desire because he knew that was the best place for them to be. When we think about the things that we do for our kids, don't we do that for their best interests? I mean, that's our mindset. We don't do it because we know it's gonna hurt them. We do it because at that time we think it's the best for them. That's where Paul is. This is what's best for you. This is what's best for you. His love was that good.